Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Welcome to our final live Texans postgame show of the season. And oh my God, the Texans just do their Texan thing. Robert here along with Sports Radio 610, Sean Bajani. We bring 45 years in journalism between the two of us, over 35 covering Houston sports. And I've seen a lot of terrible things in Houston sports over the years, Sean. But man, the Texans coming up clutch when it doesn't matter is got to be the all-timer. I, you know, I was about as vocal as I've been five minutes ago, three, two minutes ago, whatever, when the ball game ended, as I've had all season long, maybe the last two or three years, man. And I, at this point in time for this podcast right now, just I'm almost speechless. I'm going to have to work myself back up again because it was it was really deflating. Um, it, it's really, really deflating. And, you know, it sucks that you are at a point in time for any fan base relative to any sport that you're rooting for your team to lose, but n- maybe never more so than with this organization on this day at this moment in time because of the fear of the unknown. And it just sucks because the last three years, Robert, it has been the fear of the unknown. One of the least transparent organizations that have looked like the biggest dumpster fire in all of sports had complete control of their own destiny all season long. And it's just amazing that it came down to these two walking dead NFL head coaches playing the complete opposite of the game that we witnessed last night, the Jags and the Titans, a winner go home. This is a franchise, potentially franchise changing victory and not in the good way for the Houston Texans because you don't have control of your own destiny. And if you want it, if you want to gain it back, it's going to cost you a pretty penny. And I don't foresee that happening. And so, I mean, there is so much to talk about between now and April 27th and the job that somebody as general manager um, and even owner has to do. And I, I just, I know we got a lot to get to. I'm just almost in utter I'm pissed off. I'm pissed off. Yeah, and I, I tell you what, John, and by the way, uh, you've got a house full of kids there, of course, and it's, of course, they're screaming, which is perfect because that's what all the Texans fans are doing right now. They're screaming bloody murder about this thing. And let me just say this to start off with. Yeah. The Texans decided to start their starting quarterback. The Bears didn't start their starting quarterback. The Colts didn't start their starting quarterback because they knew that this game benefited them it benefits the Colts if the Texans do have to give up some draft capital it benefits the Colts because now they're in the race for trading for that number one pickup they fall in love with Bryce Young or CJ Stroud or whatever this gives them that option they knew the Texans were, would not have dealt with them most likely if, if the Texans got the first overall pick so it helps you in your division if you're the Colts it helps you uh, obviously if you're the Bears the Texans were the only ones that decided not to start their starting quarterback that should have been an organizational decision. If Casario didn't let that happen, then that's on him. There are reports from Jay Glazer, as people might have heard, that Casario's job is now in jeopardy. I want to get to that in just a second. But I want to just say this real quick, Sean, because, you know, there's a, a couple of people that think, well, it doesn't matter a whole lot because of X, Y, Z. And I'm going to go to NFL.com's Lance Zerline, who jumped on Texans fans on Twitter during the game for being panicked over the potential win today. He said, this isn't a draft where you go from Trevor Lawrence to Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson, if you drop from one to two, 
But I don't buy into this take. The Texans desperate need of hope at quarterback. You want the option to pick a QB if you fall in love with one and not be forced to consider trading Deshaun Watson draft capital that you desperately need to move up one spot. Ten teams need quarterbacks. One team will make that deal. We know that. This is the history of the NFL. And look, everybody thinks they're a quarterback expert right now, Lance Zerline, but we have no idea. Scouts, media, fans, we're all clueless. It's a crapshoot. You need evidence? I'm going to give it to you. Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Joe Montana, Drew Brees, Kurt Warner, Russell Wilson, Dan Fouts, Warren Moon, Brett Favre, Hall of Famers, or future Hall of Famers, all of those guys. Aaron Rodgers picked late in the first round. Tons of teams passed up on him. Farvin Breeze in the second round, Montana Fouts and Wilson in the third round, Brady in the sixth round, Moon and Warder undrafted. Here are some quarterbacks taken number one overall, Jamarcus Russell, Tim Couch, Jameis Winston, Sam Bradford, Baker Mayfield, and our own David Carr. You think you know who's the first, who the guy is, and Bryce Young's not a number one and a sure number one and blah, blah, blah. You think you know, and you don't know, period. It's a short-sighted piece of analysis to be honest with you in my opinion on behalf of anybody that not on behalf but in, in regards to anybody thinks that thinks um that you know not being able to control your own destiny with having the number one overall pick is not that important given the state of this franchise yeah they need a quarterback but they need a lot of other pieces too but the reason why that losing control of your own destiny with not having the number one overall pick now going forward is that you don't have the number one overall pick in the second round and the third round and the fourth round, so on and so forth. And it changes the draft board completely for the Texans. And ultimately, look, there are a lot of players that are going to be, you know, 10, 11, 12 year veterans coming out of this draft. You just don't know who the hell they are right now today. You still have to be able to draft well. And you can draft really well and be in a great position drafting number two in every second, in every single round. There's no question about that. But it's just about having that control and having the opportunity to do so all season long through the first 17 weeks. And then, you know, this happens. But it's compounded with the issues that this organization has had over the course of the last three years that has brought it to this point that is – this is like the one thing I wrote a column this past week, Robert, and I I meant it from the heart. Like it's not that drafting number one overall, and you're, you're not one draft choice away from fixing this organization. There's a lot that needs to occur for that to happen. However, you know, we've gone from witnessing one of the more loyal, one of the more vibrant um, fan bases in the league to one of the most despondent and disjointed and bitter fan bases in the league. And, you know, look, in my lifetime to have been able to say that now twice with the way that the Oilers tenure ended here in the city of Houston to what the Houston Texans is right now to the to Houstonians, it's sad. It sucks. And this was going to be the one opportunity that I think we had as a city to really kind of come together and be excited about this football team again. You know the anticipation. We've had it three times before in our history about having the number one overall pick and having like the world, the football world in the palm of your hand. I mean, it just kind of comes down to that. Um, if it's Nick Casario, if if it's uh, a general manager to be named later, you know, look, it, they're going to have uh, major franchise altering decisions to make. And I, I know we'll talk about this here momentarily, but 
it takes a lot to get to know a team to understand the players that you have um, already in-house. And while it would be nice to have Nick Casario not here in for the simple regard of like that would really be like the last straw, you know, or, or just that last bit of uh, muck you needed to clean up to rid yourself of anything and everything that had anything to do with Jack Easterby, um, which was the so, demise so, of the organization. So, so- so that's what I was going to ask you. You want Casario gone. You're okay if they decide to go to get rid of Casario. I'm not going to say I want it. I wouldn't hate it. You know, and again, I go back to this. Like, Casario, he's been in-house for two years. And he's assembled this roster as it stands. I mean, there's there's a total of like seven or eight players that existed before Nick Casario took over this job. And, you know, say what you will. At the end of the day, you can't get much lower than what you are right now. Literally the worst team in the NFL. And unfortunately, it doesn't depict that now going forward in the course of who's picking number one overall in the draft. But it is what it is. Um, you know, forget about the relationships. I care about, like, what's up here, um, you know, and who's going to do the very best job they possibly can with what they have at their disposal. And I don't know, just something about me that I'd be more willing to trust the guy that's been in-house to put the franchise in this position with the eighth most money to spend in accordance with the projected cap in 2023 and to have accumulated the most draft choices out of any other team in the NFL with 11 going into the 23 draft. The Nick Asario, like, I don't know who that other is. We're, I'm tired of having to live in a world with this organization about the fear of the unknown. You you don't know what role Jack Easterby's playing. You don't know why Bill O'Brien is being allowed to make the decisions that he is. You don't know the power structure. You don't know who you can trust. You don't know who the best guy is to call the shots. And you don't know who's really ruling this organization, Robert, with the iron fist. Is it Cal? Is it Janice? Is it, um, you know, both of them working in, in, in conjunction with each other? Is it the brothers, you know, that that is a broken family as, as we've kind of come to know it to this point in time with the McNairs? You don't know. And I'm tired of living in that world with an organization that this city deserves to have be as successful as the one that we've been rooting for for the last six years in the Houston Astros. I want there to be an argument about this being a football town versus a baseball town. I want that. Right now, it's not one. It's a joke. I'm going to say this about the Gittering Casario right now and the whole Casario situation. Look, I'm going to, I'm going to give you both sides. And, and the big side to me with Casario is this is somebody that's respected around the NFL. It was somebody that the Texans hired rarely, which they do, which was respected and thought of a, as a good hire because he was with the Patriots for so long. Remember, this guy was with the Patriots for 20 years, 12 years player personnel. That that team had a lot of success. Maybe you can point to the draft picks and say the draft picks weren't all that great, but somehow they continued to build around Tom Brady. They continued to build teams that would go to the Super Bowl on a regular basis. He was around Bill Belichick. This guy is considered one of the great minds in NFL history. Casario is considered an incredibly hard worker. You know, do I, I love the guy, the, the person? Uh, no, he's not a lovable, huggable guy, but it's hard to find lovable and huggable guys in the NFL offices of the uh, around the league. So, but Casario, if you look at the draft choices so far, it, to me, it's still a lot of unknowns what he did in the draft. I mean, I like the Nico Collins pick, Davis Mills. 
you know, I, I don't particularly hate the fact that he took a shot at a guy that was considered the best quarterback coming out of college. And there was a lot of unknowns and he had a lot of physical tools and he, he showed some signs in his first year and then dropped off and looked pathetic in his second year. Um, the other draft picks, they're past the third round. A lot of that stuff is a crapshoot after that. If you look at this year's draft choices, he found a pro bowl, potential all pro in, in the fourth round of Damian Pierce. The other draft choices are looking a little bit shakier, but Jalen Petrie shows signs. Christian Harris shows signs. Kenyon Green, the physical talent is there, but we've talked about the fact that this guy did not have a training camp. Derek Stingley is the biggest issue with the entire Texans draft and the, everything that Nick Casario has done. So if he screwed that up and should have drafted Sauce Gardner instead, which right now there, you would have to say that's what he did, um, then then that's a big deal because you don't get a shot at that apple too many times at the top of the draft. And when you do, you got to get it right. And the Texans were in desperate need, but he was also given the worst franchise in the NFL at the in the worst situation without a lot of draft capital to start with, with the Deshaun Watson mess, with everything that was going on. Now, did he screw up the coaching hires? Potentially, yes. And like you said, Sean, we don't know if that was Easterby or if that was Casario and who was doing that, who, who was making those decisions and what was going on. But it, it turns out it's on Casario's record. And he knew that Easterby was here and Easterby's the reason why he got hired. And he knows that. And so if something goes wrong, it's on him. And the coaching hires right now look pathetic. I would say personally, give Casario another year. I want to see what he does. But this next year is crucial. These draft choices that he just made, they better take a big step forward next year. The draft choices that he has, he better not screw up. He's got to draft a quarterback in this draft and give the Texans fans some kind of hope and quarterback. And now it's going to be a lot harder because you either got to trade up or you're taking the second best quarterback that everybody thinks is on the board. So that's where we're at right now with Casario. But Sean, I'm at the point right now where, you know, if they got rid of them, like you said, would, I, would it, it kill me? No, but at this point, we look like a joke of a franchise. And I don't know if you getting rid of your general manager that you just hired two years ago and you had make big decisions for this franchise, getting rid of them right now makes any sort of sense. Well, and then who's going to replace them? I mean, we've been focusing a lot of our attention on, you know, who the next head coach and talking about who could potentially round out the sort of staff that would entail a Shane Steichen, a Ben Johnson, D'Amico Ryans, uh, you know, whoever it might be, uh, a Gannon, you know, I, and, 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 you know, as far as general managers go, that that is a big leap, you know, going from the state of this organization already is in and has been in over the course of the last three seasons where it's just been broken and it's been one thing after the other. You're flipping script here, in my opinion, if you're doing this and you're making a decision to fire Nick Casario. And that's not to say that you shouldn't do it, but you better have a plan. You know, I'm of the belief that over the course of the last couple of weeks, you know, at, at least, Robert, at least Lovey Smith has been dead man walking. I, I just, I felt that way, to be honest with you, personally, all season long. I thought this was kind of all part of the plan. I mean, nobody knows what even Lovey's contract is. What is it? Did he sign a one-year deal, two-year deal, three-year deal? How much money? You know, wink, nod, handshake sort of thing. Nobody knows what it is. And, you know, that to me should be a red flag. I mean, we know contracts. We know what guys are signed up for. We know their situations in large part in, in, in sports, particularly NFL, which it's a big deal. And um, I, I, I don't know that. We know the general manager's contract. And so if you fire Nick Casario, are you going to be paying this guy if you're Cal McNair to not work for your organization? Over no, no, hold hold on, Sean. Not just 
Casario not to work for your organization, which they gave a $30 million contract, you know, five years or whatever, six years, I think, a contract that he gave to Nick Casario. Basically, Cal McNair is paying David Cully, yes. Bill O'Brien, Levy Smith, Nick Casario. You're paying, in essence, if you count Bill O'Brien as both a coach and a GM, you're paying three coaches and you're paying three general or two general managers and three coaches, not to mention the guys that you're bringing in, the coach and the general manager. So you're paying four coaches and three general managers. Yeah. And that, that was, that, that was the point that I was going to make, man. And it's, uh, you know, at, at a certain point, like if you're Cal McNair, you know, look, who's a billionaire, he's got all the money to spend in the world. You're not worried about optics. It is money and you're paying for your past mistakes. And now is the time where you're going to kind of, you know, start to write the ship. I want to know who he's talking to. I want to know who his confidant is. I want to know where he is, you know, making these sort of decisions and, and who's influencing them. Is it is it the president now? Is it is it Grissom, you know, with the Texans? Is it somebody else who's way behind the scenes, you know, guys, influential people that Bob McNair, whenever he was around and running this organization, had at his disposal? And there were some good people very good minds, well-trusted people that he could bounce things off of and have, you know, closed, closed door conversations with things that were said and discussed and decided upon that nobody knows about. But you see that you saw the result of it, you know, during the time that Bob McNair, you know, owned and ran this organization. Cal McNair's not had that guy. And I think it's believed and understood that that's kind of what's led to the point that this organization is currently in and that the decisions that he's made, the people that he's trusted has not come from really anybody in his close circle because, well, there is no circle. There is not that guy or group of people that have really um, been positively influential. He's had to trust people you know, that he doesn't really know, that he doesn't vibe with, that he doesn't have a previous relationship with. And so I think that's a problem. And, you know, going forward, it's just, it's very shaky ground. And just as soon as you saw, or you thought you saw the light at the end of the tunnel, you just wonder how much further away that light actually is. If this train is stalling out right smack dab in the middle of it, if they're in a head-on collision, you don't know how or when you're going to get out of this damn thing. And, the the story that you know surfaced over the course of the last 24 hours robert that maybe the texans and this was per jay glazer and it always makes me nervous when he reports stuff because it seems like nine times out of ten the dude's right on top of it on it um it, it, it it's worrisome because you you thought this organization was going to be i mean i just got done talking about it you and i did a show a week ago discussing all of the points as to the reasons why and the valid reasons strong reasons why this organization can very well undergo a drastic turnaround over the course of the next eight, nine, 10 months, just as the Lions did, just as the Bengals did, the Jaguars, um, the New York Giants, if I didn't mention them already, there are a handful of organizations, Robert, that we've seen make drastic turnarounds in a very short amount of time. And when you have the draft capital that they have, when you have the free agency money that they have to spend and be able to retain their own players, the good ones that are already on this roster and in-house, you know, it didn't seem that that impossible, especially considering the fact that you're playing in the AFC South division that, hey, yeah, the Jags are hot, but I'm not going to go ahead and give them a crown like I did Peyton Manning, you know, uh, in the Indianapolis Colts all those years within the division. They're nowhere close to that. Um, so it, it is worrisome. It's concerning and it's depressing. And what, what, what's concerning? Cause you, you said you're fine if they get rid of Casario. What, what's concerning to you about 
the fact that they would get rid of Casario because you're saying it's consistent. On one hand, you're like, you're fine with it. I don't, I, I, I'm not sure if well, I like it. Just the point that I made earlier, you know, I, I wouldn't hate it because it would completely rid yourself of any connection previously to, you know, the impetus of dragging this organization down and dragging it through the mud with Jack Easterby. I mean, but at the end of the day, what's really important here? A, a relationship with an individual that's no longer a factor, you know, in this in the place of business at NRG with the Houston Texans? Or is it important that, you know, you continue to trust a guy who is obviously very smart, understands the game of football, understands the workings of a front office, and, you know, at least talks about how important it is to build relationships and trust the right people to do their jobs and has compiled this roster over the course of the last two years, knows these guys, knows what works, knows what doesn't, and has already started the draft process and scouting process weeks and months in advance. So, yeah, and, and that's that's when you're getting rid of any general manager. You're starting over. You're screwing up the process. And, mm -hmm. yeah, I get all that. But if you think Casario's not doing a good job as a general manager, then then he's got to go. And, let me, and I don't have foundational reasons to believe that he's not doing a good job as a general manager to this point in time because this 2022 draft, like, does it look like the very best in the NFL? No, absolutely not. Does it look like the worst? Absolutely not. Does it look like there might be a lot of promise in the players that he'd selected in 2022? Sure. Maybe one or two from 2021? Yeah, possibly. Garrett Wallow, Nico Collins, who knows? Um, you know, with a better coach, better coaches, positional coaches, and there's some guys here in this staff, Robert, that have done a really good job. Uh, you know, George Warha, uh, Ben McDaniels, um, you know, Frank Ross, obviously, who's been here for two or three years now as a special teams coordinator. You know, they're play who's gotten more out of the lack of talent on the surface of things, you know, than Frank Ross and the contributions that his guys have made in special teams. I don't know. Well, and, and I give that to Casario because he did a great job with the Patriots special teams and player yeah. personnel. That was one of the things that they were good at. And when I talked to my expert, if you listened a couple of years ago when they hired Casario and I asked him, what was he good at? He talked about he was real good at special teams, guys. Um, not so good at finding wide receivers, which the Texans, you can say at this point, the wide receivers, it's been sort of an issue. Um, for years. For years, though. Yeah. Well, not for years. It's DeAndre Hopkins and Andre Johnson were pretty darn good wide receivers. Yeah, but Two out of the 22 years you've been in existence, though, is my point. Yeah, yeah. But two guys that are potential Hall of Fame. Well, Andre is going to be in the Hall of Fame. And we assume DeAndre, if he can stay healthy for a few more years, can be in the Hall of Fame. And I also, you know, I've got to point out on the Casario thing, he's he's got the contract stuff lined up. That that was all a, a mess. And he's sort of been able to fix a little bit of that. And he hasn't signed stupid contracts and he's redone all of that professional stuff that we saw go by the wayside with Bill O'Brien. And it was kind of hit and miss even at times with, you know, under Rick Smith and some of the other general managers at least he's got that stuff squared away. Like I said, I, I would love another year with him just to see where things go. But this is such a crucial year because if he's not the guy and he screws up this draft, this is the best draft that you're going to have probably in the next three or four or five years and, and going forward with all the picks that you got for the Deshaun Watson trade. Yeah. You know, the thing is the key in, in, in your point is, is that he hasn't been in a position to have the opportunity uh, to really make deals yet with any sort of significance. 
You know, Laramie Tunsil wants to reset the market at left tackle. He's going to have to deal with that situation. And it's not a deal that absolutely has to get done as Tunsil enters into his final season of a three-year $66 million deal in 2023. You know, this is the first time that Nick Casario's had a lot to do with an organization in terms of turning a page, taking a massive step, and being in charge of making its first real head coaching hire, its first real, uh, you know, uh, offseason of, of any lucrative free agent decisions, its first real impactful uh, draft with this many choices, more than any other NFL team. And so well, last draft, they had two first rounders. They had right. they had two third rounders. No, last year's draft was a huge draft. But what I'm saying is this is the la- this is your last draft where you have like six guys, I think, in the first two rounds. I don't think there's you're going to have as high a picks going forward. I assume Cleveland's going to be better with Deshaun. Who knows? Cleveland's always a screwed up situation. But you had all those picks that Cleveland gave you in the Deshaun deal in these last two years. And I think that's why this particular one is so absolutely crucial for the Texans because if you screw this one up and you screwed last one up, oh my God, you're in the hole. But, you know, also... Like, if Cal McNair makes this decision to get rid of Nick Casario, Sean, you, you can no longer point to anybody else. This is the end of it. Cal McNair is the it's owner great. of the franchise. I don't care if his wife is make, helping make decisions, whatever. His name is at the top of the checks, and it wasn't Cal McNair that hired Bill O'Brien, okay? And and Bill O'Brien did not hire – did not – or coming there did not hire Bill O'Brien as a general manager. Bill O'Brien hired Bill O'Brien as the general manager. And Nick Casario basically was a hire of Bill O'Brien. And Nick Casario has then hired the next two coaches. So you could say, well, Cal McNair is responsible for all of that. And I'm granting you all of that. But we know there was a lot of behind the scenes, you know, Hamlet Shakespearean stuff that was going on. And Cal might have been in charge, but he was getting usurped. People were backstabbing each other. There was all of this under-the-radar stuff. If if he gets rid of these two guys, this is all on Cal. He's made the absolute decisions. There was nobody that is under the influence of Cal at this point, I I don't think, on this situation. This is Cal deciding on his own. Hey, I don't like what's going on. And he he got rid of Easterby. So Easterby's gone in this hole because, I mean, unless Easterby's still somehow pulling strings, even though he's not, who knows? But I, 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 would, I would think that he would be out of the situation at this point, moved on to, you know, backstabbing other people elsewhere in the world or something. Yeah, right? look, the, the extent of the relationship that anybody has with Jack Easterby doesn't really go beyond, you know, certain player relationships, relationships that he's built uh, during his time here, which was, you know, two years and change or so, something like that. Um, and we know those guys, um, at least the, the ones of impact, Laramie Tunsil and Brandon Cooks, and there's some other guys within that locker room that he has, you know, pretty close relationships with. But as far as Jack Easterby is concerned, that, that's kind of where I draw the line in regards to my feelings about Nick Casario is, you know, what's really important, a guy's relationship with um, somebody like that um, or what he knows, what he's familiar with, and what he's done and what he could do for this organization going forward, given a full deck of cards to play with now that, you know, a lot of the uh, uh, the detractors are out of the way and have been removed. You know, what we know, and this is a point that I wanted to make, you know, that I did make uh, really a few times over the course of the last couple of weeks, if you listen to me on Sports Radio 610, is that, 
we're going to learn a lot more about Cal McNair and Nick Casario, particularly between now and April 27th. And maybe it's really just going to come down to Cal McNair, depending on how much, um, you know, these reports, uh, you know, have weight to them in regards to maybe Nick Casario being a dead man walking himself. We don't know a lot about Cal McNair at all. You know, if you just kind of look back, Robert, over the course of the last 20 years, the history of this franchise, he's a guy that has literally been right there in lockstep with his father. Uh, you know, the late Bob McNair um, was at every practice, every function, every game. Um, you know, to my knowledge and in certain circles that I've spoken with, um, he's really tried to learn the business throughout the course of the last couple of decades but just hasn't had the people to trust and hasn't had that foresight. And uh, well, I mean, you say we don't know Cal. Mc I disagree with you. We know Cal McNair at this point. What we know after 20 years is he's not a football expert. And anybody that was a football expert wouldn't have let what happened with Bill O'Brien and, and Jack Easterby happen. And it was yeah. like, like it was out there. Like nationally, people knew what was going on. You saw what Bill O'Brien was doing to tear this whole organization down. You knew that these were the dumbest trades ever. You knew that he was making decisions that were screwing the entire franchise. Yeah. Like everybody knew that except Cal McNair. So to say we don't know about Cal McNair, no, I think is a fallacy. That, that's fair. Uh, that's fair. And I, I guess what I really mean to say when in regard we don't know him is we don't know who his circle of trust entails. Um, because it's never it never comes down to just one guy, Robert. I mean, you know that. I mean, there's an owner, just like there's a general manager and a head coach, and they're going to take the onus when it's a bad decision. They're going to take the credit when it's a good one, whatever the case may be. But in terms of being able to run an organization, you have to be able to trust a circle of people. Um, and we don't really know who that is. We don't know who's in large been very influential in some of these decisions. And you Did know, we know who Bob McNair trusted, though, when he was making all of his decisions over the years? I don't know. Well, there was, and, and forgive me because, you know, I, I've spoken to people. There was one individual particularly that Bob McNair, you know, trusted um, in confidence with a lot of his decisions. And that person is no longer around, just as Bob is no longer around, obviously. Um, and when Bob lost that individual to, you know, a tragedy, uh, he was kind of left to his own devices and what he'd kind of been able to compile in terms of knowledge and how to do things. I mean, this is also a guy who had to learn the game of football and the business of football upon, you know, uh, wanting to bring it back to the city of Houston. This was not a guy that had kind of been there, done that before. He had to kind of learn it. Um, and, he, and, he, and he brought in Dan Reeves at one point because he yes. needed somebody to trust. And he brought him as a confidant, the late Dan Reeves. And, and that's sure. where they hired Gary Kubiak and all, all of that sort of thing mm -hmm. happened. And, and it's about, look, I, I know we've heard this a lot since Nick Casario has been general manager, but it is about building relationships. It is about trying to find out and learn people. And, and in doing that, you figure out very quickly, you know, who knows what they're talking about, who you can trust and who you can um, confide in with, you know, all franchise altering decisions, business decisions, personal decisions. Um, and and I, I don't know. And look, it's it's personal for a reason. We don't know who that guy or guys or gals are for Bob McNair. I mean, for, uh, excuse me, Cal McNair at this point in time. And I think that's a deal. That's something that is not discussed, that it's not thought of. We, we're only discussing what we see, what's tangible, you know. 
uh, on the day in and day out, who we hear from, who we see. So I, I just think those are all important things. And the franchise going forward, it's it should come down to Bob McNair. I mean, that is the owner. And the a question over the course of the last few Cal. years. Cal. Cal, I'm sorry. I know I keep saying Bob since I injected his name. And, um, you know, but it it should come down to Cal. It should come down to the owner. And I think what we still don't know is really, uh, Robert, to what degree, you know, Janice has a voice in these decisions. We we do know that she's been very pro, um, you know, lovey and tends to look at the human side of, of things more than just a business and football side of things. So, you know, who is he listening? Who's bending his ear in that regard? How much is Janice, his mother, you know, doing? Is she ruling with the iron fist? And I think it's all really irresponsible you know, to say one way or the other, because you don't know, but the sheer fact that it is there. And just as though these rumblings had been going on over the course of the last month, if we're being honest with ourselves in regards to, eh, you know, what about Casario? You know, there's questions. Is he really safe? It takes a Jay Glazer report for everybody to kind of perk up and say, whoa, holy smokes, this could really flip script. We were just worried about a head coach. Now we're worried about both of these guys. There's always, you know, a little, a little fire where there's smoke. It's just, to this point, what to what degree? Yeah, and if anybody hasn't heard, we mentioned it off the top. Uh, Casario could be in jeopardy here because of Jay Glazer's report. Although Jay Glazer isn't saying Casario is gone. He was saying Casario's up for grabs right now, according to what he's hearing. And Glazer, as Sean pointed out, the guy tends to be very inside and accurate on his reports. Sean, before we get, you know, we got a couple more things to talk about. One thing, Lovey, we know, is probably gone. I mean, that's the report. Uh, you said Aaron Wilson is saying, what, 90% gone? He's about 90% out the door, according yeah. to Aaron Wilson. So, And he's not the only one that said Lovey is pr- pretty much gone. I, I just want to go through some coaching candidates um, because, you know, within the next couple of days, I, I think we're having a new coach here. So Lions OC Ben Johnson, great passing attack with Jared Goff without a true number one wide receiving target plus a top 10 rushing attack. So look for him to be a potential candidate. Bill's OC, Ken Dorsey, who's worked with Josh Allen since his second year as a QB coach uh, with uh, the Bills. This was his first year as OC since Dayball left, and their offense has kept rolling. He was the QB with the Miami Hurricanes undefeated team with the roster that included future Texans Chris Myers, Vince Wilford, Ed Reed, Philip Buchanan, Rashad Butler, and Andre Johnson. So maybe Andre can have some sway if they go after Ken Dorsey. Eagles DC, Jonathan Gannon, who there's there's uh, reports out there that there's mutual interest. He, he's already been interviewed with the Texans for a head coaching job last year. There's also Eagles OC, Shane Steffen, who helped the development of Justin Herbert and Jalen Hurts. Maybe he was more important in Herbert than Pep Hamilton was, who we heard that's one of the reasons why he got the Texans job. Cowboys OC, Kellen Moore, who's been on, uh, radars before, of course, you can judge what he's done with Dak Prescott or how he kept the Cowboys offense going with Cooper Rush this year when Dak was injured coming into the last game. They were second in the NFL in points. Um, you got Bengals OC Bill Callahan. He's developed Joe Burrow with the Bengals, also spent time with Kubiak. Kubiak connection in Denver while working with Peyton Manning. You don't know if Kubiak, they could go to him for something like this. Peyton was already Peyton. When he coached him with the Broncos, but I'm sure it helped to be around a mind like Peyton. His dad is the NFL legend offensive line coach, 
Bill Callahan, who also coached the Raiders to a Super Bowl as a head coach. Um, Patriots connection of Casario stays around. Inside linebacking coach Jared Mayo. Maybe he gets into the mix. Maybe Texans defensive, former Texan and Lions DC, Aaron Glenn. Obviously, I don't need to tell everybody who he is. Original Texan. He grew up in Houston. He's a hot name who's likely to get hotter with how he turned around the Lions defense in the middle of the season. You got Giants OC Mike Kafka. He's been an OC for a one year, just getting hired with Dayball, but he spent previ- the previous five years in various offensive positions with the Chiefs under Andy Reid, working with Mahomes. So, Sean, there's some names for you that I don't know what names that you, you've heard, but those are names that I think will be in the mix around the league. I think kind of hit uh, a lot of the hotter candidates, uh, you know, the commodities, if you will. Um, you know, you look at that first list that popped up really publicly. I think it was the Jacina Anderson report um, upon the uh, firing of Nathaniel Hackett in Denver. Uh, you know, Dan Quinn's name, Daryl Bevel was mentioned in, in that list, along with D'Amico Ryans and Sean Payton and Shane Steichen and Ben Johnson. And you mentioned a number of other names in regards to Aaron Gwynn. I think you mentioned D'Amico Ryans, as did I, along with uh, uh, Jared Mayo. But um, you know that you could you could create a list, Robert, of about you know fifteen, maybe maybe you approach twenty names um, this off season. As I don't know if there's going to be that many uh, head coaching positions up for grabs, at least relative to what we've seen in the last two, three, four years in the NFL. But I think you probably hit all the names. And you know, look, you can find a lot of sexy things to say about you know most of them. Um, you know, I think some of the hotter names here recently have been some of the ones that I just mentioned, especially, uh, you know, both of the coordinators up in Philadelphia, whether it be John Gannon on the defensive side of the ball or Shane Steichen on the offensive side, Ben Johnson, the job that he's done with the uh, Detroit Lions. Certainly, those are probably three of the top five hottest commodity names, along with D'Amico Ryans. Um, and who would be that fifth guy? Uh, you mentioned somebody, and I can't recall. Um, let me let me ask you on the D'Amico Ryan's front because I keep hearing from a lot of people that D'Amico Ryan's isn't in the mix because the, the this lawsuit with the Texans and et cetera, et cetera. I I, I don't know. I don't I, I've never gotten the sense that he's out of the mix. What have you heard about D'Amico Ryan's? You know, I've heard a couple of things here in the last week and a half as you know, talk to people about uh, you know potential candidates and who would be uh, interested interested themselves in interviewing for the job. And I actually heard from a couple of different people, one referenced just the lawsuit in that, um, hey, this is something that typically doesn't happen. I mean, you're not going to even look twice at the guy if, in fact, they've once wagered a lawsuit against your organization. That's just not good practice, um, you know, in, in business typically. So that's a reason. Another person brought up the lawsuit and the fact that D'Amico Ryans wouldn't even be interested in coming to Houston, um, for one. As far as the reason why, uh, it, from what I heard, it had nothing to do with the state of the organization over the course of the last couple of three years, but rather more of a sense that, you know, kind of been there, done that. I know what it's all about, and, you know, I'd rather look elsewhere. What, um, been there, done that, what, what does that mean? Uh, just he's got a history here. You know, he's he's been there. He's played there. He knows. Um, he wants to explore his, you know, other options rather. Well, he's the, he hasn't had co- he once had coaching job. You would assume so. I don't understand what that is if he like if he doesn't mind the Texans organization. 
Uh, not that he doesn't mind it, but he would rather go to a place that maybe he hadn't been before in his career is kind of the way that I understood it. Um, and so I, I still think, you know, at the end of the day, you're looking for the best possible candidate. And I'd have a hard time believing that if you're compiling a list from the names that we just mentioned, how D'Amico Ryans doesn't wind up in your top five and maybe even your top three, to be honest with you, um, the job that he's done as a coordinator in San Francisco. So I think you're always looking for your best options. And I also think if you're Cal McNair, you can't ever, um, you know, eliminate anybody. But also if you're D'Amico Ryans and you want that opportunity, while this is, in my opinion, with the number one overall pick and even without the number one overall pick, one of the most desirable jobs in the entire league because of the draft capital, because of the money you have to spend in free agency, and because of the players that are already on this roster, the impetus to, to really build and grow something here. I, I don't think it, I think it would be short-sighted if D'Amico completely ruled it out. But again, I'm just telling you from what I'd heard, Shane Steichen is one of my top three guys. It would be Steichen, Johnson, D'Amico Ryans in that particular order, just from the, the, the research that I've done over the course of the last month, month and a half. And looking at guys, I, I like the steady progression of Steichen, particularly how he started on the defensive side of the ball the first couple of years. Um, uh, this is experience in the NFL. Um, he's had various roles with not a lot of different organizations. And I like that. And I understand why that can maybe be a downside because maybe you want a guy to be a little bit more well-rounded, but having spent most of his time, and I'm talking about Shane Steichen between the Chargers and Browns organizations before going to Philadelphia, I like the loyalty aspect. I like the ability to be able to look and see what a guy was able to grow and develop for a market amount of time within an organization. And those are, tangible numbers you can look and see the growth in those particular places um and you have a two-year sample size with the job that he's done in philadelphia with jalen hurts and the eagles so I, I like that ability and i think when you're talking about some of the younger hotter commodities that are going 36 37 38 years of age he's he's probably my favorite in that regard what i don't know about him and what you're going to learn a lot more over the course of the next few weeks and maybe months Hopefully it's closer to weeks than months, Robert, because you don't want the Rockets, the Rockets, you don't want the Texans to be caught up in this cycle of hiring coaches where the last two times they were the last team to make that last hire in the NFL. Well, well that's when you say they're the most, they're such a desirable place. I, I have a hard time with it. They've been an embarrassment over an organization for the last few years. Cal McNair looks like he's has no idea what's going on. He doesn't look like he's in charge. The owner, to me, is the definition of what the organization is about. They've hired, they've had four coaches in the last three years, and you want to step into this as a head coach? That doesn't sound too fun. You, you Like three hours ago, you thought you had your choice if you stepped in as a head coach is of the quarterback that you wanted in this draft, anyone. Now you either have to take the second choice of a quarterback or you have to trade that draft capital that you just talked about, Sean, that they should be excited about because you you didn't get the first pick in the draft. So I, to me, if I'm looking at this from the outside looking in, there's going to be some head coaching jobs around uh, the Broncos, et cetera. They have some talent there. That's been an organization that's overall been well run, although it's under new ownership. But there's other coaching jobs that I assume are, are going to pop up that are all a lot better than the Texans and what's happened over here the last five years. Looking at the history, it's not good. No, I mean, it's a good point. However, I think also, too, if you're uh, 
if you're a, a young coordinator or maybe even a younger exper experienced head coach, uh, even at the collegiate level and maybe even at the NFL level already, and you're looking at the Texans as a possibility for your next landing spot, to look at the history, yes, is it, it is important, but it's also, too, about looking at uh, an organization in which if there's ever a time to turn things around and you feel like you're the missing piece to doing so, that should be appealing. And look, at the end of the day, what's tangible, what already exists within the organization is what I just said. And what more appealing of a position could it be to where you go to an organization that has money to spend, that has the draft capital that it does, not just this year, but the following season as well. Um, I mean, you could find a lot worse circumstances with organizations if you look around this, uh, uh, this league. So the Texans, in my mind, and I really don't think I'm speaking out of turn here when I say the majority would say that this is definitely the most, uh, one of the most appealing positions uh, and desirable positions in all of the league, as it should be. Um, there's a lot of unknowns, even here locally. Don't know what kind of owner you got, really, at the end of the day. Like, what kind of owner he wants to be. Uh, how long is he, how long is that family still in controlling this organization? You know, is it five years? Is it 10 years? When you're talking about a family like the McNair family that has so much um, tension and there's um, a divide within it, you don't know what could happen in terms of a sell in the next 5, 10, 15 years. And I guess you really don't know that, you know, with, with a lot of organizations. Yeah, yeah. It's getting, it's getting, you're getting way ahead of it. Like key, key things, though, with these guys, these coaches that I mentioned, I mean, the Texans, if they're the one of the least desirable, which I think they are, nah. they're going to have to fight with other franchises for some of these coaches because it's not like you can find out tomorrow and then you might have to wait and could you get the worst of the lot because the Bills Dorsey is going to still be playing for a while. The Eagles Gannon and Stefan, the Cowboys Kellen Moore, the, the Bengals Brian, Brian Callahan, um, the, you know, the, potentially – uh, yeah, the Giants might cap. I mean, all these guys you're yeah. going to have to wait on. And if somebody else wants them more, you 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 don't know. And, you know, you, you actually want to interview them. So I don't know. You, you might have a chance to do that. But it, will that decision, can you make that decision quickly, depending on what's going on with the playoffs? Yeah. And look, it's 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 not this is something that you can't rush. And it is a good problem to have when you have coordinators that are making deep runs in the postseason. It does give you uh, time to sit, to think a little bit. You just don't want to. You don't want it to be too much time. You don't want to miss out on the guy that you really had your eye on. And I think we're short-sighted if you don't think that Cal McNair or Nick Casario have had a short list compiled already for weeks, maybe months, um, of guys that they wanted to talk to. Um, so, you know, there's that. It's not that a hire needs to be made by the end of the next week or anything like that. But, you know, look, within the next month, absolutely. You've got to, you know, strike while the iron's hot. But it has to be reciprocated, too. And I just disagree with you that this is one of the least desirable jobs. I think, yes, just baiting, judging based solely on the past, sure, it's easy to say. But I think, you know, coaches, you dumb it down to coach speak like we all do. Um, they're all eternally uh, optimistic, and you have to look at the, the present time and what the future might entail. And also, too, these are egomaniacs. 
Um, not to say they're full on narcissists, but they trust their abilities. They trust what they can do. They trust their ability to turn teams, organizations. No, I'm not on. saying somebody isn't going to take the job. I'm just saying when you compare them to the other owners that you're dealing with and the other organizations and their history, the Texans look like a joke around the NFL. This is not Maybe. news. This is not news to anybody. They are a joke around the league. How much more appealing does Jim Irsay Indianapolis Colts look, you know, at times than Bob McNair and uh, uh, Cal McNair and the Houston Texans? I mean, he's gone through his issues as well, you know, and, and you could you, you could find a number of examples, Robert. At the end of the day, you want a guy who's maybe trying to figure out how to run an organization and maybe, you know, has been burned one too many times before. And now he's going to trust the right people uh, to make football decisions and run his business that ultimately does fall on his shoulders on whether or not it's a successful one or not. You know, you never know. I think this is an evolutionary process still in the early stages with Cal McNair as owner of this organization. All right, Sean, we're going to run, but we, you and I, I think we're going to be back here pretty quickly because if something breaks with the Texans, we are going to do a show about it in the next couple of days and something could very well break if it breaks tonight. Uh, we'll give it a rest, but you're going to hear from us very soon if, you know, Lovey or Casario or both of them are gone in the next couple of days. Um, thanks, everybody, for joining us. Keep up with us. Subscribe to the Houston Sports Talk podcast on your YouTube channels. If you're listening to us uh, through Apple or Google or through audio, we thank you so much for joining us on this one. And we're going to talk to you, I'm sure, very, very soon. Thanks a lot, John. It's therapeutic. <laughs> You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Hey, you can support the show by subscribing on YouTube and commenting on the videos. Listen to Houston Sports Talk on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, and Google. Don't forget to tell a friend and share our show on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.